as all that is here to this great city of Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, from Baltimore, Maryland. fans and welcome to this episode of the Rama podcast. Today we're going to be talking about my first favorite wrestler as a child. Uh, we're going to be going way back, uh, but before we get into that, I want to remind you to check us out on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Rama. And you can also check out all of our previous podcasts by going to anchor.fm backslash Rama. Uh, wrestling as a kid was a every Saturday ritual. My grandmother was a wrestling fan and I would spend uh, weekends or at least Saturdays with her often um, and as I became older it became more by choice so I could watch wrestling with her. Uh, but I, I grew up every Saturday watching wrestling with my grandmother. Um, and we... As a kid, I remember seeing main event heels like uh, Bobby Duncombe, uh, Larry Zabisco, Ken Batera, um, Greg Valentine, Bob Orton, uh, Superstar Billy Graham, Sergeant Slaughter. So well-known names, some you know guys with size to them or. Some that were better technical wrestlers, like an Orton or a Valentine. Um, but not until the summer of 1982 did a wrestler really stand out to me. And back then, we had one hour of wrestling. Uh, Saturdays at 4 or on uh, Channel 45. And my grandmother had a good TV, so she was able to get channel 20 out of washington dc so if if i i remember playing soccer as a kid and the soccer field was near her house so soccer was over in time i could get to her house by 11 o'clock to watch uh the dc version or the dc edition of uh, wwf tv um, i didn't catch it every saturday but i was with her saturday at four o'clock um but we didn't get you know, NWA wasn't on TV yet for us. Georgia wasn't on TV. Um, so early 80s, WWF was it. You got one hour a week. Um, and like I said, the summer of 82 is when I really first remember paying attention to wrestling and wanting to make sure that I watched wrestling. Uh, that's when Jimmy Superfly Snooker debuted on TV. And like I said, th there were some great heels back then. Bob Orton, Greg Valentine, Sergeant Slaughter, Bobby Duncombe, um, Kim Patera. 
Um, even Blackjack Mulligan with the claw, they would put the big red X on the TV to put the claw over. But none of them stood out the way Jimmy Snooker stood out, at least to me as a kid. The guy was ripped. He looked like a maniac. And he did moves that we had never seen before. Probably the most impressive move prior to the Superfly Splash for, you know, a, a young WWF fan would have been Bob Orton's superplex from the top rope. Uh, I remember seeing Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid. Uh, they showed that match from Madison Square Garden on TV, and I love that match. But that was it. We really didn't get to see a lot of flying uh, back then. So when Snooker came on TV looking ripped and diving off the top rope, that's when it changed for me. I, it was must-see TV going forward. Um, so what I'm going to do is go through Snooker's history, at least the first three years, but only focus on his matches in Baltimore. Um, I'm going to sprinkle in some important angles, some uh, different happenings that didn't happen in Baltimore, but it was important to uh, the development of um, Jimmy Snooker. So the first match we uh, got to see live for Jimmy Snooker was June 19th, 1982. It was about 9,000 people in attendance. And this was the main event. Jimmy Snooker and WWF Tag Team Champions Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito. All three were managed by Lou Albano. Uh, they defeated Intercontinental Champion Pedro Morales, Tony Gurria, and Ivan Putski in a best two out of three falls match. Uh, the first fall saw Fuji pin Morales. Second fall saw Morales pin Fuji. And the third and deciding fall saw Snooker pin Tony Gurria. So in his Baltimore Civic Center debut, he got the pin in the main event. Uh, they then returned August 14, 1982. This was uh, about 13,000 people in attendance. Maybe a couple hundred shy. 12,500, something like that. Uh, it was originally supposed to be Tony Atlas against Jimmy Snooker. Tony Atlas didn't make it, so they substituted Pat Patterson. And Pat Patterson defeated Jimmy Snooker by disqualification in about 15 minutes. And this is what WWF always does. Anytime there's a substitution, the substitute will win. Or at least, at least back then. I'm not sure how they do it now. But back then, anytime you saw a substitute, unless it was in like a title match, the substitute would win. Uh, we didn't get a WWF show in September. Then in October of 1982 was the infamous Jimmy Snooker, Ray Stevens angle. Now, Snooker was a heel at this point, but as a kid, he was my favorite wrestler. Uh, he had the match with Backlund in Madison Square Garden where he dove off the top of the cage. And I think that was really the turning point because a lot of New York fans were already cheering for him. And like I said, me as a kid, he was my favorite wrestler. But this really turned it for Snooker, turned Snooker into the number one babyface in the WWF. Uh, they had an interview segment called Buddy Rogers Corner. It was kind of the precursor to like the Piper's Pit, um, the Barbershop, you know, those interview segments WWF TV does. Uh, but Rogers Corner, uh, they... It actually went over a few weeks, this angle. It started with Rogers interviewing Snooker and Albano. Rogers accused Albano of stealing Snooker's money. 
Then the following week, Rogers said the contract was invalid. Uh, and then October 9th of 1982, they had a Ray Stevens debut on TV. And as a kid, to me, Ray Stevens was just some old man. I didn't, you know, this guy doesn't have a chance against Jimmy Snooker. Now, you know, I respect the hell out of Ray Stevens' work and love his work. Uh, but back then, I'm like, this guy doesn't have a chance. But I noticed that Fred Blassie was his manager. And then after the Buddy Rogers, uh, Rogers Corner, uh, Lou Albano went to Ray Stevens' corner. Uh, so I was like, wait a minute, this isn't right. And next thing you know, shit hit the fan. Ray Stevens is pile driving Jimmy Snook on the floor. Snook is bleeding all over the place. And I remember this night, you know, you have memories that stick with you. This was 38 years ago. My family was planning on going roller skating that night. So it's 4 o'clock on a Saturday. We're going to go roller skating after eating eating dinner. Uh, and when I saw Snooker get <laughs> hit with the pile driver on the concrete floor and start bleeding all over the place, I was crying like a baby. This was the first time as a kid that I can remember wanting someone to get revenge for something. Nothing before that made me want to see anybody get revenge for anybody but this year i wanted snooker to get revenge on ray stevens so the uh the next wwf civic center show would have been october 30th 1982 snooker did not appear on the show selling the injury from ray stevens uh the following wwf show would take place december the 11th 1982 this was a sellout and I just mentioned memories that stick with you. This show, this December 11th, 1982 show, I remember better than some shows I saw last year. It's just something about this show that, that sticks with me. Maybe it's because I was amped up to see Snooker. Um, but they started, the, they had a battle royal um, with the winner of the battle royal getting a title shot against Bob Backlund later that night. Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito were the co-winners. Uh, Mr. Fuji wound up getting the shot. Um, other people in the match was Eddie Gilbert, Salvatore Balumbo, Superstar Graham, Buddy Rose, Kurt Henning, Ivan Putski, and uh, Chief Jane Jules Strombo. Uh, but I, the important one in that was Superstar Billy Graham because it actually came down to Billy Graham... Uh, Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito, all three heels, and Billy Graham, of course, had a, a feud with uh, with Bob Backlund. So it was the three of them, and Billy Graham was doing the kung fu gimmick, and of course, Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito was doing the karate kicks and the chops during their match. So it came down to them three, and uh, Billy Graham did like a bow like a ceremonial bow to Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito, saying, hey, I'm on your side. Um, Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito kind of, you know, said, yeah, yeah. But then they say, you're bowing wrong. You're doing your bow wrong. This is how you bow. And then Fuji and Saito did a bow, and they went, they went a little lower with their bow. And then they said, you try again. So Superstar Billy Graham went for his bow, went a little lower this time, and Fuji and Saito kicked the shit out of him and threw him over the top rope. I loved that angle as a kid. It shocked the hell out of me, uh, but I still remember it like it, it happened yesterday. 
Um, but on that show, Jimmy Snooker and Rocky Johnson defeated Ray Stevens and Lou Albano by countout, and it was only about a six-minute match. I was amped up for the match. I was excited to see Snooker get his hands on Steven, Stevens, but I was disappointed. A, it wasn't a singles match, and B, it only went six minutes. Um, I was I was happy that Snooker won. Um, and I remember this show, uh, I got a probably my first wrestling poster besides the ones that would come in pro wrestling illustrated, but this was a bigger, a bigger poster. Um, and it was made out of cardboard. It wasn't like a rolled up paper poster. It was made out of thick cardboard and it was black and white, but I, I had me a Jimmy Snooker poster and I remember maybe it was after Christmas break. So it may have been in January uh, but I remember it was after Christmas break, the school, or my class rather, in school, um, was having show and tell. And most kids brought in a new toy they got for Christmas, or, you know, electronics they got for Christmas. I brought in my Jimmy Snooker poster <laughs> to show everybody. That's how much I love Jimmy Snooker and how excited I was to see the guy I took. And this was Catholic school, too. I took my poster, Jimmy Snooker to show and tell. Uh, so then we go to January of 1983, January 29th, 1983, another 12,000, uh, 12,000 people in attendance. These shows were, the Civic Center was rocking back then. Uh, but anyway, January 29th, 1983, Jimmy Snooker defeated Ray Stevens by countout. I hate it that, that Snooker never got a pin over Stevens in Baltimore. Um, I don't know why they didn't do it. He just didn't get a pin over Stevens in Baltimore. Uh, then we came back March 12th, 1983. 12,800 people were in attendance. Uh, this was Andre the Giant, Jimmy Snooker, Pedro Morales, Chief J, and Joel Strombo defeat Intercontinental Champion Don Morocco, Ray Stevens, Mr. Fuji and WWF Tag Team Champions, the Wild Samoans, in a best three out of five falls match. And I remember Snooker won one of the falls with hitting a superfly splash off of uh, off the top of Andre's shoulders. Uh, so the heel team won the first two falls. Andre's team won the final three falls. That was March of 83. We come back April 9th of 1983. 12,000 people in attendance. Jimmy Snooker pinned superstar Billy Graham. That was kind of an odd match. You know, Jimmy Snooker was, was so hot at the time. Um, seeing him pin superstar Billy Graham really didn't do anything for me. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about wasn't a show in Baltimore. But it was the show in Allentown, Pennsylvania, May, tw May 10th, 1983. Uh, they did a TV taping, and Snooker's only match during the TV taping saw him pin Jose Estrada. Uh, but that was the night when his girlfriend, Nancy Argentino, was found dead in the hotel room. And I'm sure everybody's seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode. Um, you know, I, I didn't know about the story as a kid. I, I heard about it. Um, years later, 
Um, and then, of course, when they brought the charges back uh, in, the, in the 2000s, I, I read about it. Um, and actually, there was a write-up. Uh, I believe it was in like the Village Voice. It was some New York newspaper, the Village Voice. Um, and this was covered in um, in the Dark Side of the Ring. But they, they did an article. It was called The Superfly and the Groupie. And I remember somehow getting a hold of that Village Voice, whether I got it in a 7-Eleven or I found it down at a, a, a newsstand downtown. Um, but I, I, I do remember buying that Village Voice after hearing about it. So that was May 10th when uh, they did the TV tape, and then afterwards they found his girlfriend dead. So... The next WWF show would have been May 21st of 1983. Snooker did not appear on that show. And then June 25th, 1983, Snooker did not appear on the show. Uh, in June of 1983, they did a huge angle with Don Morocco to set up Snooker's next feud. Uh, Morocco was on Roger's Corner. And uh, Morocco was another guy as a kid I really didn't appreciate. Uh, like I do now. I love his work. He was phenomenal back then. His promos, his work in the ring, great, great all-around wrestler. Uh, but Morocco was on Rogers. And back then, they didn't have entrance music. So as Morocco's doing the Rogers Corner, they would bring in the participants in the next match. And one of those participants was Jimmy Snuka. Um, you know, the fans saw Snuka started cheering. Morocco got pissed off because Snooker was interfering in his interview time. Uh, went to ringside, started talking smack to Snooker, and then he spit on Snooker. Snooker, you know, calmly took off his robe, took off his headpiece. Morocco's jawing with the fans. Snooker bounced off the ropes and hits an over the top rope dive onto Morocco, who was on the floor. And, uh, Snooker's next feud was on, man. So October of 82 was a huge angle with Ray Stevens. June of 83 was a huge angle with Morocco. Uh, we saw the next WWF show August 6, 1983. Uh, we saw Andre the Giant, Rocky Johnson, and Jimmy Snooker defeat WWF Tag Team Champions the Wild Samoans and Samula, who was Samu, in a best two out of three falls match. Uh, the final fall saw Andre pin Sambula to get the uh, to get the victory. Uh, then September 17th, 1983, Jimmy Snook and Buddy Rogers defeated Intercontinental Champion Don Morocco and Captain Lou Albano. So just like they did with the Stevens, and I'm sorry, the August show, Snooker was in the main event, that six-man tag. And then the September show, Snooker and Buddy Rogers against Morocco and Albano, that was also the main event. Um, but just like the year prior with Ray Stevens, huge angle. And they come back with a tag match involving Captain Lou Albano. Huge angle with Morocco. They come back with a tag match involving Captain Lou Albano. I just wanted the singles match. Uh, then we went to October 29th of 1983. This was kind of an odd mismatch. Uh, or mishmash, Tony Atlas, Tito Santana, and Jimmy Snuka defeat Sika, Samu, and Ivan Koloff, uh, who was subbing for Alpha, 
Um, so seeing Atlas, Tito, and Snooker was an odd combination, but then Ivan Koloff with the Samoans was even odder. Uh, November 19th, 1983, another sellout. Jimmy Snooker defeated Intercontinental Champion Don Morocco by countout. Uh, December 17th, 1983, Snooker was not on the show. January 28th, 1984, Jimmy Snooker defeated Intercontinental Champion Don Morocco by countout. March 3rd, 1984, this was a sellout. Uh, Jimmy Snooker pinned Mr. Fuji in three minutes. Uh, I could have done without Snooker and Fuji, to be honest with you. Uh, so April 28th, 1984, no snooker. May 26th, 1984, no snooker. Uh, then in June of 1984 was the infamous Piper's Pit angle with the coconut. And again, if you've never if you've never seen these angles, whether it's the Stevens angle, the Morocco angle, or the Piper's Pit with snooker, it's on YouTube. But Snuka, no, nobody else in the WWF had such hot angles year after year, 82, 83, 84, Stevens, Morocco, and Piper, uh, the way Snuka was. And even though Backlund was the champion in 82 and 83, um, Snuka was still the number one babyface. And, of course, by 84, Hogan was in town, and he was huge. But whatever towns Hogan wasn't on, Snuka was on the other towns. They would run two or three shows a night. Uh, so the June 84 was a Snooker Piper Pit angle. June 23, 1984, they returned to Baltimore Civic Center where we saw Andre the Giant and Jimmy Snooker defeat WWF Tag Team Champions Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch by disqualification. Uh, July 14, 1984, at the Civic Center, no Snooker. August 3, 1984, Roddy Piper teamed with Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch uh, who were the tag team champions to defeat Jimmy Snooker and the Wild Samoans. This was in the main event. So again, huge angle with with Piper. Just like the huge angle with Stevens. We didn't get a, a singles match right away. Huge angle with Morocco. We didn't get a singles match right away. Huge angle with Piper. We didn't get a singles match right away. I, as a kid, I didn't understand it. And as an adult, I didn't understand it. So the next three months, we didn't get Snooker. September 10th of 84, October 27th of 84, November 17th of 1984. No Snooker. December 15th, 1984, they returned to the Baltimore Civic Center where we saw Jimmy Snooker and the Tonga Kid defeat Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff via disqualification, and that was the main event of the evening. January 5th, 1985, at the Baltimore Civic Center, and this was two months before WrestleMania. We saw Jimmy Snooker and the Tonga Kid defeat Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff in the main event. I can guarantee you Roddy Piper wasn't the one getting pinned that night, so Paul Orndorff was the one looking at the lights. Uh, February 2nd, 1985, 13,300 people paid to finally see Jimmy Snooker and Roddy Piper one-on-one -on -one, and Snooker defeat a Piper by disqualification. So imagine that. The angle happened in June of 84 
And the first singles match we got was in February of 85. Eight months later, we got tag matches in between, but the first singles match was eight months after the angle took place on TV. Unbelievable. Uh, then May 4th of 1985, in front of 7,800 people. That's hard to believe. Think about it. February 2nd, there were 13,000 people in attendance. March of 85 would have been WrestleMania. And then May 4th, 1985, they returned to Baltimore Civic Center and only drew 7,800 people. This was the main event. Listen to the main event. It was Jimmy Snuka and Hulk Hogan defeated Roddy Piper and Bob Orton. I don't understand. Uh, I mean, clearly I understand why 13,000 people paid to see Snook and Piper because we waited eight months to see the singles, but I don't know why Hogan and Snook teaming uh, didn't draw a bigger house. But after that May 4th, 1985 show, we didn't get any more Jimmy Superfly Snooker um, until he returned in 1989. Hard to believe. So he debuted with WWF in June of 82. His uh, first match would at the Civic Center would have been June of 82. And then less than three years later, he was gone. Granted, he had his issues. Um, he was never reliable. If you notice, he never won uh, even the Intercontinental title or a tag team title. And as hot as he was, they never ever considered him for the WWF heavyweight title. But nonetheless, he was my first favorite wrestler as a kid. Um, it was it was sad to see what happened to him, you know, at the end of his life, and you know the the murdering the girl was beyond messed up. Um, and again, you can check out that episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that Jimmy Snooker was my first favorite wrestler as a kid. I'd love to hear who your first favorite wrestler was and any memories that you may have of them. Feel free to send them to us at WrestleRama at gmail.com. And again, uh, you can also leave comments on our Facebook, facebook.com backslash WrestleRama. Thanks for tuning into this episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, take care and see ya.